This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine podcast, and also my favorite uh, voice in the podcasting <laughs> sphere. I, I will never not mention this josh like it's just it's my favorite voice like half of the reason i i like having you on this podcast is just your voice alone the other half is because you're actually good at um podcasting and you're a smart baseball guy so that both both are in your favor well i greatly appreciate it chase and it's great to be back on your show see folks it's just it's really good do you get it a lot i feel like i've probably asked you that but it's been a little bit since you recorded how many people in your personal life are just like god you were meant for radio See, the thing is in Chicago, because uh, I grew up mostly in Wisconsin, uh, sometimes the Scotty comes out in my accent, uh, even though I try to disguise it. But I do not sound like someone who grew up in Chicago. So I get I get both sides. I'll have people say, you sound really good. And then I'll have people say, I hate the sound of your voice because it doesn't sound like I'm from Chicago. Interesting. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Do, do people actually sound like they're from Chicago? I've never heard anyone be like, that's a strong Chicago <laughs> accent. Oh, yes. Especially on the South Side. Interesting. Especially on the South Side. Yes, it is a it is a interesting dialect. Let's call it that. See, I just assumed it was a Midwest thing because I get uh, people assume I have a Midwestern accent. I don't know why. I don't think I have an accent. So I guess people, when you don't have one, you just assume that that person is from the Midwest. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting how accents work and everything else. My parents, neither of them do. My grandparents actually all have strong Southern slow, but also like kind of um, bourgeoisie in their uh <laughs> release if you know like it, i'm trying to think of a good movie who's like does a good example of this but um just a slow draw but it's also like sounds extremely fancy i don't know how to explain it you have to you have to come down to the south and experience it um it's an interesting uh combination of class and uh just southern i, I don't know it's it's very strange but um 
Anyway, we're not going to go into a full-on discussion of accents on this podcast. <laughs> Although, I am after we get off here, I'm going to actually do some research on Chicago accents because now I'm curious about what they actually sound like. So, um, anyway, we are going to talk about a couple of baseball things. And um, just before we get into the stuff that I sent over in my notes here that I want to talk about, um, the White Sox are not on my list, but they're the team you cover uh, they're a team that we actually touched on in the podcast, Chris Swick and I, um, another uh-huh. Chicagoan of Yahoo Sports. We were talking about them a little bit, and the thing we both agreed on was that like the this team, had they won the Manny Machado sweepstakes, we'd be looking at them as like maybe the AL Central leader in a playoff team this year. But, like if they had just won that, and this is why you go in, like they're a good example of like why you try to win baseball games even if you don't think you're at that point where you're ready to contend is because certain guys just hit Mankata hit and he's really good now. And you just have certain guys that break out when you have a bunch of young guys, you never know when they're going to break out. So you, you have to be okay with the idea that, Oh, our guys hit all of them hit at the same time. So now we have this veteran star with these young guys who um, are ahead of schedule. And this is awesome. Um, The Brewers went through it. Like there are a lot of teams that just have to react accordingly and kind of bet on your player development and that like Mankata what he was last year was not who he's going to be and that like this was the guy who was the centerpiece of the Chris Sale trade and you should have bet on him being really good <laughs> and um I don't know Lucas Giolito all these different guys um obviously they've had a little bit of uh, unfortunate starting pitcher injury luck but I, I don't know. What do you think? Are you surprised that they have been better than expected and that this team, had they won the uh, Machado sweepstakes, would be at top of the AL Central right now? Uh, no, because the Minnesota Twins are out of this world offensively. Yeah. And, and with the two, I mean, they're on pace to hit 300 home runs this year. And they mm-hmm. have a team weighted runs created plus of 122. They have 15 players with at least 50 plate appearances this season 13 of them have a weighted runs created plus of 100 or more and then marwin gonzalez is at 99 so 14 out of 15 uh players have a weighted runs created plus of 100 or more i i don't think they'd be in top of the american league central i think they'd be in the thick of the american league wild card number two spot with manny machado I think defensively for Machado at third base, he would have helped really solidify that position. But Yuan Makata making that transition from second to third has looked much better defensively. And I think the White Sox lucked out having Yuan Makata play this well at third and where I think he has sold both the team and the fans that he is going to be the long-term third baseman. But back to the point that you made, you know, I do, I've done a lot of Cubs podcasts Uh, leading up to the White Sox-Cubs series this week. And I got that question from them often. And I would turn around and ask them, if the Cubs did not sign John Lester prior to the 2015 season, do you think 2016 happens? And they said no, because when they signed John Lester, not only did they get an ace, but that was a message throughout all of Major League Baseball that this was a team willing to make the investment for the best players in the league to win a championship. And that was enough to convince someone very useful like Ben Zobris to sign with them and also convince the top free agent uh, in that class, Jason Hayward, before the 2016 season 
to sign with the Cubs. And those free agents mixed with their young talent from their player development efforts uh, obviously created that magical season. And it's really helped the Cubs in the last few seasons. They still look like a strong contender to win the National League pennant this year. The White Sox missed the boat. And not only do they miss on a Manny Machado, they're not going to get an opportunity to get Nolan Arenado, uh, who stayed in Colorado. And we saw all the top free agents that were projected for this upcoming free agency class chase signed before the season began. And right now you're looking at the top free agent target being Garrett Cole, the current starting pitcher for the Houston Astros. The thing with Cole is, is that he's going to want a six, seven year, $200 million deal. And the White Sox have operated for a very long time that they're not going to make a more than five year commitment to a free agent pitcher uh, mm-hmm. to join them. So that's not a fit. So what do the White Sox go from here? Do they? Does the front office truly believe in the 25-man roster that they currently have? I don't think they do. I, I think that they are preparing to go through a really tough stretch uh, in the season. And winning the win-loss record is not a priority for Rick Hahn in 2019. That's a bit frustrating to hear as a fan, and I'm sure it's pretty frustrating for the 25 guys in the clubhouse. Uh, but they are ahead of schedule as far as wins and losses are concerned. Uh, they're 34 and 36 before this series with the Cubs. And, you know, when you are when you have a younger team, they don't know any better, Chase. It, it's like the Atlanta Braves last year. Not a lot of people were expecting the Braves to win the National League East. But a young team that starts to believe in themselves and they start to gain confidence and they work together, they can pull off surprises and they can win in spite of their eff- of the efforts of their front office if the front office doesn't make any moves. Uh, so we'll see what happens to the White Sox in the future. But I think Rick Hahn has missed a golden opportunity. And I know at least in Chicago, uh, fans look at him in a much different light uh, prior to this offseason. That's interesting because I, I agree with you and I think the Braves comparison is is right. Um, and I wonder if um, the Twins don't just go bonkers and Byron Buxton even hits now, which is a weird, weird world we're living in that uh, it's finally panned out. But it's awesome that he's finally hitting. I think he has like nine dingers this year along with like every other twin, it seems like. But um, yeah, I, I just I wonder if Rakan, you say like he doesn't care about wins and losses this year had they gotten off to like a a twins start this year and um they have more guys hit outside of anderson and um the and mancada like i wonder if they do operate differently do you think that they adjust um do they make different moves do they go out and maybe get in the madison bumgarner sweepstakes do they um who by the way doesn't it, never mind i'm not gonna go down the medicine bumgarner thing just yet um I, I just wonder, are they holding out for Anthony Rendon next winter? Is that the plan? They're just going to woo him, but then again, you have Mankata third, so that's probably not a great idea. I, I just the the free agent pull next year not as appetizing as the free agent pull this year. So I just wonder if they're going to have to invest in some trade options and trade some prospect capital to kind of get over the hump because Reinsdorf's not going to pay Garrett Cole and those kind of guys. So like what are the options here? Like what else can you really do to jumpstart this um, team? Because I think as, if I'm a White Sox fan, I'm even more annoyed that that this is happening right now because this division 
is wide open. It's the worst division in baseball. And like, if they have a Machado, if they go out and get, make one gigantic investment, like you said, like the Lester type deal and kind of reinvigorate the fan base and kind of show that, look, we're taking over. The Indians are done. The twins. I don't believe in the twins just having this like staying power year after year. Like this is, if I had to pick any of these teams right now, likely to win the division, um, the most in the next five years, I would bet on the White Sox. I think they have their best set up to do that, but they have to do that little thing like you're talking about with the Lester signing or whoever that actually is. I, I don't think it's going to be Garrett Cole, like you said, but like whoever that is, they have to do something like that. And um, I, I don't know if I'm a fan. I'm like, this division sucks. The Tigers can be awful for a long time. The Royals are going to be awful for a long time. The Indians are about to just sail off into the sunset. You have this opportunity where it's like, it's you and the twins. And I, I just, I'm not a huge long-term twins believer unless you're like the biggest Jake Ordi fan of all time. But um, I don't know. Am I, am I crazy for thinking White Sox fans should be like, okay, let's just go like this team. It, it's time. Like there is, it's time to do something drastic. There are some, I think there will be more after this season. If the White Sox can remain competitive and they're hovering around 500 like they are come August, then yeah, you're going to hear that drumbeat get louder and louder and louder that White Sox fans want the front office to make some drastic moves and go forward in 2020. I disagree a little bit on the twins. I think the twins do have staying power because it is with their core position players that they have developed in house and they're not going to go anywhere for a while. Uh, and the pitching front is going to be interesting uh, for them because Odorizzi is a free agent after this year. I, I think three out of their five starting pitchers are uh, actually going to be free agents after this season. So it'll be interesting to see what they do on the starting pitching front. It's like a Ranger situation where they like struck goal with Miner and Lynn, but it's like those aren't guys who are going to be around long term, and those are guys who flip and all that kind of stuff. It's not like young arms that you're just super pumped about for the next 10 years like the White Sox have. Right, but the White Sox young arms have gotten hurt. And other than Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal, uh, Dylan Cease has had some struggles, but a lot of minor leaguers for the White Sox have underperformed this year. And that raises a question in their ability and also the White Sox ability to develop players. Uh, So it it is an interesting time to be following the White Sox because there's a lot to be positive and optimistic about. But it, you still have what happened this offseason to hark it back to. And it just pessimism seeps in. And it, it is hard to balance the two. And then all you could really do is just hope that Eloy Jimenez and Yohan Makata and Tim Anderson keep producing moments. And Lucas Giolito continues the pace that he's at because it, it helps uh, remove as far as some of that pessimism. And it does provide a glimpse of what can be in the future. Yeah. Well, let's leave it there. Um, White Sox, interesting. Cub series, always fun. Uh, Miss WGN because I watched a lot of those games growing up and uh, it sucks, but um, I miss it. Um, The Braves, we touched on them a little bit and that is uh, a team right now that they're three games up in the Phillies as we're recording. Um, They just won the weekend series with them two to one some really crazy games there. Um, Luke Jackson with one of the all time worst, uh, blown saves. Um, this offense is raking their worst batter in their lineup right now is Dansby Swanson, former number one, 
number one overall pick. Albies has turned a corner, it seems like. Um, Brian McCann getting all-star love and just raking again. I don't understand any of that. Um, you could also <laughs> make the case that Nick Markakis is their worst hitter at this point. But um, I, I do kind of like the irony in Dansby and Nick Markakis being their weak links offensively this year because um, I don't know if you knew this or not, uh, Josh, but uh, the two best available free agents this offseason, the Braves could have signed... Uh, were a right fielder and a uh, shortstop. And uh, they elected to do neither of those things. But um, I, I do kind of like that they could have Harper in for Marquegas. Like, can you imagine this offense with one of those two in uh, this situation? Like, I, I think they win every game 17 to 1. Um, we can't <laughs> rule it out. But um, I don't know. This is the best Braves offense statistically since 2003. And I, I'm just curious if it is sustainable. Do you believe the Braves offensive surge in June is sustainable? That's a good question. I look at like Ronald Acuna jr. Right. He is developing into the player that a lot of people thought he would be uh, right now. His batting average and balls in play is 361. Uh, if he can continue that, then yeah, he's going to have just an absolute monster season. We're talking six wins above replacement or even more. Uh, I mean, you're just looking down the list. I mean, you say Dansby Swanson and Nick Markakis are the weak links. They still have weighted runs created plus of more than 100. So Swanson's 3% better than league average. Nick Markakis, even at his age, uh, he's still a, an above average offensive player defensively. Obviously, he's not all that great. Um, is it sustainable? That is such a good question. You know, it's really hard to say. I, again, I read up the Minnesota Twins. They're on pace to hit 300 home runs. Right. Uh, so, I mean, the offense throughout Major League Baseball has been just crazy. But the thing with the Braves is, is that they have tremendous young talent in Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies. And they have surrounded these two uh, potential stars with a veteran presence, a consistent offensive force in Freddie Freeman. Josh Donaldson, I think, has performed pretty well for the not Atlanta $20 Braves. Dollars worth. He's he's fine. Yeah, not twenty million. I agree, not twenty million dollars worth. But at this point, Donaldson is a is a mercenary, uh, so he'll go year by year. Uh, yeah. And I I don't think teams are going to be too much worried about uh, as far as the price tag. Right. But no, I I think that what the Braves have done and what we saw from last year, I just look at their entire performance as a team. And I, and I do think this is sustainable. This is the Braves team that we heard about and people were dreaming about when they were going through their rebuild and they have taken over the national league East and even at their expected win loss, when you factor in what their record should be based on the runs scored and runs allowed, they're only overachieving by two games chase. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Phillies who are at 39 and 32, as we record this are overachieving by three games. The Phillies are really a 500 team, uh, the way that they've been, they've been playing. Uh, so, so should the Washington nationals, but the Washington nationals are underachieving by three games. The nationals uh, so, are just like, we need to do like a, a whole tape, like a, a whole oh, gosh. study on just how this happens with that much talent, especially like they had the best one, two starting pitching combination in baseball and for just this to happen to Strasburg and Scherzer again, um, it just it all sucks and it just boggles the mind. But anyway, continue. Yeah, but I, I think the Braves, 
I thought this was going to be a year where they would win between 83 to 85 games, uh, take a step back of right. the moves that were made by the Nationals and the Phillies this offseason. But the young talent continues to blossom mm-hmm. for the Atlanta Braves, and I do not see them going away. Are they going to continue hitting at this pace? Probably not. Uh, I guess if you're talking about well, June in the itself, right, era, right? For them to continue no. hitting, like the Twins and the Braves are playing, they're they're scoring offensively a way that is consistent. They're not like a Babbitt team that are just um, incredibly lucky. Like even just five years ago, where teams were just it was all defense and that kind of stuff, and now it's just a, a home run strikeout situation. And the the Braves' offense seems like predicated on the modern game. Yes, it does. They do. I, I but I I think right now they deserve to be the National League East front runners, and we'll see if Austin I, we'll see if Austin Riley continues to smash as he has. I mean, he's striking out thirty percent of the time, and he doesn't yeah. walk, uh, but he's got a eleven lot of Joey home Gallo runs. To him. Yeah, there is a there is a bit of Joey Gallo to him, but you know, eleven home runs in, in thirty one games. I, I just. I like the Braves core so much in Acuna and Freeman. And I know Albie's bats in the lower half. Wait, so I have a question on the lineup on the core. Yeah. How would you, cause I've argued with other fans about this. Um, how, who would you place in the Braves core just offensively, not pitching or anything like that? Who would you actually place? Cause when I say core, I mean like these are guys who are going to be on this team for their prime. These are building blocks. Okay. So the, Freeman obviously wouldn't count, right? Because right. he's been with the team for a really long time. Yes. I say Acuna, Albies, and Riley. I, I, with Dansby Swanson, I, I think Dansby Swanson is a very nice player. He's and tradable. I think I think he's going to be productive for them. And, you know, he could be tradable or they could just keep him at shortstop. He could be their long-term shortstop. Uh, if they find another shortstop that they think could be an improvement, um, go for it, I guess. But I, I think the three players are going to lead this Braves lineup that are going to strike fear in opposing teams is Acuna, Albies, and Riley. Interesting. See, I don't have Albies in it. And I just because I'm not a believer, I guess he has a 111 WRC plus right now, but he's so up and down that it's still, he's not a sure thing. But you paid him like kind of, it was, it's a great deal. So I think they definitely see him as a core piece. I just. I don't know. I want to believe. I like Albies a lot. I, I don't I don't know. It's weird. I might be higher on Riley as a core piece than Albies, but um if you the told thing me about that it, it, like uh, if you only told it like the only sure core piece I have on this roster right now is Acuna. Like he's gonna be a star for ten years. And Riley, he might have a huge dip. Like that strikeout stuff is real and like his mm-hmm. defensive liability, like where is he going to play? Like is there some Clint Frazier potential in right field one day for him like nick marcakis he's gone like what what does that look like um because he can't play third I, I i mean maybe but i have my doubts um it won't be like freddie freeman at third but it's also not going to be great um i don't know like i just I, I i don't know i i'm back and forth on this the only thing i'm certain of is freddie freeman is still an incredibly good baseball player and incredibly yes. valuable and ronald acuna is going to be a superstar for 10 years like i don't know about anybody else yet i think freddie freeman is easily one of the i would say top five most underrated players in major league baseball right he's someone that a lot of fans around the league don't know about 
but he constantly just churns out terrific seasons year after year. I mean, his weighted runs created plus right now is 155. Right. He's hitting 313 with a 404 on base percentage, slugging 592. If Freddie Freeman was in the American League, hands down, he's starting at first base for the American well, League. Well, the American League first base situation is just a dumb terrible and has been for like the last couple of years now, right? Yeah, it's Mitch Moreland. Didn't he make it last year or did he almost get in? I either him or Justin Smoke. And your guy right now Jose it's Carlos Abreu Santana. Right yeah, Carlos yeah. Santana's been actually good though. But also he should not be your starting first baseman in a wild card game in twenty nineteen. Right. But that's That's the state of first base in baseball though. And you tweeted about this, so like how it, it's just more valuable to have just an elite shortstop than an elite first baseman. Shout out to Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor and um so many other examples of this. But um yeah, it's yes. Freddie Freeman is never going to be the best player in baseball, but he's just be, he'll be like remembered as like top ten for like ten years and just never number one. And then Braves fans get insecure when you're just like, no, they like the whole thing about him getting MVP love. It's like, no, he shouldn't. Like he's not better than Bellinger. Like it's just Bellinger is a freak of nature this year. Like you can say Freddie Freeman is a top five hitter this season. You can 100% say he's a top five MVP candidate. He is not number one, and he's not deserving of being in the MVP conversation. That Those are two different things, where you can say he is a top five talent, and he's also not deserving of being in that conversation in the NL MVP category. Am I crazy for making sure that we have that differentiation? Oh, no, you're not, because in the National League, and for the Braves fans that are listening to this, I don't want to offend you too much. But it's a two-man race for right. MVP. It's Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich. And Christian and, Yelich, yes. And whoever finishes in third, uh, just be glad that you're invited uh, to the final voting. Christian for... Yelich is a 191 WRC+. Plus. Yes. Like, he's just out of this world. And like, it, it's it's not an indictment and it's not a shot at Freddie Freeman. He's just not as good as either of those two guys. It's okay. Right. You still have a top five player. Enjoy that. But like, don't be like, he should be in the conversation. I don't know. He might be MVP. It's like, get the fuck out of here. No, he's not. He's not <laughs> in the conversation. Calm the fuck down. I'm so yeah. tired of the insecurity with Braves fans about like, people don't appreciate Freddie Freeman enough. It's like, no, he's great. He's just not an MVP. That's fine. Just perspective matters. Just let's not go crazy with this stuff. Yeah, but with the Braves, though, they're on a great run. I I don't know how to rank them against the Dodgers. The Dodgers, I think, are the class of the National League. And if the Braves, their path fi- finds them uh, against the Dodgers, I, I still like the Dodgers over the Atlanta Braves. I think the Dodgers are a yes. more complete team. I think it would be interesting if the Braves face the Chicago Cubs. I, I could see the mm. Braves surprising the Cubs in like a five-game series in the National League Division Series. Uh, but if you're a Braves fan, you got to be happy. I think that they are performing better than I was expecting them to this year. Mm -hmm. And I do think that they are going to take the National League East right now just because I'm, I'm, my uncertainty with Philadelphia grows. Like my whole thing is like, we're looking at Philadelphia through the prism of them not making other moves. But my whole thing, and I wrote a piece about this a couple weeks ago, is that like they, that ownership group wants to spend stupid money. They signed Bryce Harper. They, I mean, McCutcheon was huge for them before he went down. That's a bad injury for them. Segura was a great trade. He's been great. The Real Muto deal, great. They just have had an awful rotation. Their bullpen all got hurt with Robertson and company. 
I I don't believe this group is going to be quiet this summer. Like they're going to make moves. So yes, I think the Braves will win the division and it should be considered the favorites if we were operating under the assumption that the Phillies were not going to be bold and continue making win now moves to get them in the postseason. Like I'm a believer more so in the Phillies being aggressive over the next month and getting another guy that we're we're not just even thinking about right now that they're just they're going to call about Lindor they're going to call and like revitalize Jose Ramirez at third for the Phillies like they're going to do something like that that people are going to be like oh right they're they're going to spend the money and the Braves can't keep up with this kind of spending and just too much firepower at the top of the lineup because Real Muto's been good Segura's been good Harper's been great um shout out to the Braves fans who were like oh see Marquez better value than Harper through the first month of the season because Marquez had a slightly <laughs> better uh BABIP it's fucking insane i'm not even kidding that that was like a whole thing of like see told you harper like Braves fans hate bryce harper for some reason really really hate him like urbina I, I understand obviously but like oh my god the harper stuff they booed him all weekend i don't get it like the amount of Braves fans that still prefer marcakis over harper unbelievable to me like it's an unbelievable thing like i would kill like i would have a, i'd be wearing a bryce harper braves jersey right now if he had signed with atlanta like people are insane yeah i don't want this top five player in baseball on my team for the next 10 years yeah screw that an acuna harper outfield forever yeah who would want that sorry i'm just i i those are like my two biggest braves fans qualms is the freddie freeman stuff and then the anti harper stuff because like mark higgins had a good month and that bryce harper is kind of a douchebag who cares he's great at baseball and um he worked really hard and he should be on your team if you can get him um but anyway yes i just went on a rant and i just oh the phillies um the phillies are going to do something like they're going to continue to do something and i just I think we have to look at them of like I'll I'll circle back on the favorites in August once the trade deadline's over. Let's do that. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds good. I just Philadelphia's already got a lot of talent and I just need to see more. I need to see more from them to have more confidence that they can win the National League pennant. I, I think they're gonna have a tough time with the Braves. I still think Philadelphia's sure. gonna make it into the wild card. But that wild card game is either going to be against the Cubs or the Milwaukee Brewers. Mm-hmm. And I wow, no respect for the Colorado Rockies. America's well, team. Well, yeah, let's calm down on that front. Uh, the, the Rockies are interesting. Yeah, I don't have a lot of faith in the Rockies. Um, but that's, that's how I see it. I, right now, as we record this in mid-June, I think the Braves are going to win the East. I don't know who's going to win the Central, but the Dodgers will win the West. And I think for all the other teams in the National League, if you're going to make improvements, it's obviously to get yourself into the postseason. But you also have to figure out how can we put ourselves in a position to take on the Los Angeles Dodgers? Because, again, I think that the class of the National League. I don't think there's an answer midseason. I think the Dodgers are just the class and they're going to go back again for three straight years. Um, Some Acuna stuff, though, before we move on. 11 home runs in the leadoff spot since the All-Star break last year. Pretty insane. Um, He's on a hitting streak of nine games and has a hit in 16 of his last 17 games. In 10 of those 16 games, Acuna has at least two hits. And uh, to take that one more step, he has six home runs in those 17 games. Like, um, Ronald Acuna, pretty hot right now is uh, what I would say. So the Braves fans who get mad at me about being super negative and all that kind of stuff, I love Ronald Acuna, and he deserves um, a key to the city. He's great. I love Ronald Acuna. Um, actually, I lied. One last thing on the Braves, and we'll move on. Soroka, who has been the linchpin because Max Reed 
kind of falling off a cliff here and you already have the faulty problems and then there was this big glowing uh, piece about Julio Tehran the forgotten brave starter who has pitched opening day over and over again and now he's actually had a good year and now that's definitely going to jinx the rest of the season and Tehran's about to fall back into a 4.87 <laughs> FIP for the remainder I, I just I'm, I'm waiting for that he's pitching tonight I think actually but um Soroka is their their one guy who's figured it out and um he's outperforming his Sierra marks and that there's a really good piece on Fangraphs about this of like the biggest starting pitchers who are in line for an regression and this was a concern with the Braves like you already have so many question marks in the rotation um if Soroka dips and falls back to more of what he is then what does this rotation look like that's even more pressure on Dallas Keuchel um but yeah. Soroka is so weird at, and he's also 21 like guys are volatile and um he's just pitching like he's 35 and it's it's wild he pitches like he's from a previous era because of his sinker and his non-reliance on fastballs and like he just throws it like 93 and he doesn't allow home runs ever like everything about Soroka just doesn't make sense for the modern era which probably makes him is why he's so good is just like this he's zagging when the rest of the 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 pitchers are zigging with fastball 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 and all this other stuff but um he has a home run fast uh fly ball rate of like 2.9 percent he's just he's absurd but he got hit around a little bit and that is my biggest down the stretch question for the braves is what is soroka like two months from now if he falls off a cliff what happens like then they're in real trouble there's no more dallas keichels there's no more trades that you rely on one of these young arms does uh kyle wright get called back up does bryce wilson make an appearance Does colby allard who knows like i Luis gohara the legend continues i i don't know <laughs> well they could use kevin gossman to start throwing better that's be that's nice. for certain with soroka i i, I say just continue to ride the wave you would like him to strike out a little bit more uh, as far as batters, but, but I mean, he is. I know that's not who he is, uh, but that's just my one critique of him. Uh, but I think, you know, with the pitching staff, the pitching staff with this offense does not need to have three Cy Young winners, right. Uh, to be able to win three, two games, there's enough offensive firepower from the Atlanta Braves that even if Soroka, pitched more to his FIP, which is FIP is at three where his ERA is hovering around two, uh, that if he were to give up one more run per game, the Braves would still be fine. I, I think the Atlanta Braves are in a terrific position at 43 and 30. And I do think that the overall team play is sustainable. And, you know, with Soroka and Turan and Max fried. Now, is that a good enough rotation to win in the postseason? We shall see. And maybe Dallas Keuchel uh, could help with that front. But even if Soroka does falter, to have that veteran presence like Dallas Keuchel join the team is like the Braves have made a significant transaction before the trade deadline. Well, it'll be fun to to monitor what will happen. My guess is still the Phillies won the division and they're going to trade for somebody really good at the deadline. And we're going to be like, oh, damn the Braves were never going to do that they would the Braves just they were close to acquiring a good player but they were like mm, Ian Anderson uh, I think we like him too much in in double a our, our 19 young arms they're all going to hit just like our offensive skill uh position guys they're everybody's going to hit in Atlanta no missed prospects that's that's a good attitude to have um 
the Yankees. They uh, traded for Encarnacion, who is the ding leader in uh, the AL. And that means that uh, Frazier is going down. Uh, local hero. He actually grew up around me. My dad coached him uh, when he was in like middle school, I want to say. Maybe late. I, he played with my brother, younger brother. But um, he was hitting. And he was, he's was he been up and down, obviously, in his career. And the concussion stuff was really scary for a while. But um, he's down. That Apparently, according to Cashman, the plan was always to send him back down when guys got healthy. Because Judge is coming back next week, apparently. And then you have Stanton coming back. And Gardner's going to get that fourth slot. Um, and there's a case we made that Gardner shouldn't be the fourth utility outfielder and it should just be Frazier. But um, it, I can understand both sides of that. And um, I, I obviously Stanton going back in the outfield is going to be fun in left field and seeing how that will work. But it, it's interesting that this is all happening. The Yankees might have an influx of just power guys who um, – it, it, you just you don't have enough positions for these guys, and Frazier seems like he's the odd man out. But what does Encarnacion mean for New York in the short term? They have a very deep lineup. I mean, that's what this all means. That when facing the Yankees, it's a lot of right-handed power, a lot of right-handed power, and it's going to require teams, especially in the postseason, to be on their A game pitching wise. Uh, especially as far as starters, where they can jump on you. The thing about Clint Frazier, okay, so Encarnacion joins the lineup, and this is another big power bat. With Frazier going back to AAA, I think the New York Yankees have the best asset available to acquire what they desperately need is a starting pitcher. I mean, if you go to San Francisco... Real, real quick? Sure. The re- I love that you brought this up, because in my notes... Do you, would you like to guess who the number one trade ship was for the Yankees when they were trying to acquire Garrett Cole in 2017? Clint Frazier. Clint Frazier. Two years later, he's back as the main trade ship for an elite starting pitcher. Yeah, but the difference now is that this isn't someone that you can dream on. Right. This is someone that defensively, he's not that great, but offensively, hitting 283. Says, uh, Mookie Betts, baby. Yeah, and he's got 11 home runs in 53 games. And, you know, this is someone that you think could hit 25 to 30 home runs. You could plug in the outfield. You know, if you're the Toronto Blue Jays and you got Marcus Stroman, maybe you'd make a deal within the division. Uh, So you send Marcus Stroman to the New York Yankees and you get Clint Frazier and you pair Frazier with Vlad Guerrero Jr and Biggio, and soon Bichette. Uh, And then all of a sudden, you got yourself a really good lineup in Toronto. Or if you're the San Francisco Giants, and uh, you got Madison Bumgarner, maybe you send him to the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, and now you finally have the outfielder because the Giants have been starving for outfielders right. for a really long time. And Clint Frazier becomes their top outfielder. Uh, I like so that move more. That's what I would do if I was the Yankees and the Giants. That'd be a good haul. They can get a good haul for Bumgarner from the Yanks. Yeah. I just don't think he uh, Frazier and the Yankees do not get along. It sounds like there's a lot of headbutting between the two sides. Uh, and I think moving forward, it's going to be best that the Yankees use Clint Frazier, trade him to a team that's still going to be a few years away from winning, uh, but he's going to play every day. And I think that's a benefit to him in exchange. They're going to get one of the top starting pitchers available in this trade class. 
and really enhance their odds of winning the National League East and be a very strong contender to win the National League pennant. I love this little note in the in Joel Sherman's uh, New York Post piece about this deal um, that this was maybe more about keeping the Rays from getting Encarnacion because that was the other guy like they were really targeting him because they lost Nelson Cruz last year um, and that he's raking in Minnesota so like they were looking at him as their next um, bat kind of filling that role the the Logan Morrison CJ Crone type. And the Yankees are just like, no, we'll just go ahead and take him so the Rays can't have him. I, I love that little anecdote. I mean, teams do that, though. Yeah. And, you know, credit to Brian Cashman to understand yeah. and read the tea leaves and pounce and, and make a deal because Seattle right now is like the Kmart Blue Light special. They want to just move everyone, it's the clearance aisle. Come call us. Please take these players off our hands for whatever reason. They're they're a very odd franchise. Uh, and I kind of feel bad for Seattle Mariners fans because they haven't seen postseason baseball since 2001, which I think is the longest stretch in Major yes, League Baseball is. right now. And even uh, worse, but, they started out so well this year, got fans all, on. Oh, all I know. And then last year they had their little little run and then petered off again. Very sad last two years. Yeah. Uh, but with the New York Yankees, obviously adding Edwin Carnacion uh, helps offensively. And I think he will probably hit 40 home runs this year. But I think it does open up to use Clint Frazier in another impact move. And I, I would be shocked, just shocked, if Clint Frazier is still with the Yankees after July 31st. I am, I'm right there with you. They just have to to do something log dams matter and these guys are they want to play they want to be on the field and he's too good to still be um in triple a i think and he needs consistent uh run on the big league roster um last thing on the Yankees, and we'll wrap up here with the the indians um is there anything they can do about the rotation because that is their next move of like they're just their rotation's not great right now a lot of it's injuries but um they have to do something do if you were I mean, if it's not Bumgarner, who is it? Like, is there anyone else with their um, options that you'd be like, yeah, I would do that. Is there anyone in the market right now that um, you think the Yankees are going to end up going after and possibly landing? I think it's Bumgarner and Marcus Stroman. I, I don't know what the situation is with Cleveland, and I think we, we're going to discuss that in a moment. Yes. Uh, but right now, if I'm Brian Cashman, the two guys that I know that are available – are Marcus Stroman and Madison Bumgarner, and that's where I would set my sights right now. Okay, I just Stroman would scare me. I don't know. I and he'd be in it. it I don't know. I, I'm not a big Stroman guy, I guess. Um, but we'll have to see. The last thing, an Indians team that we are both familiar with. Um, the Indians uh, had the best offseason quote because of just how awful it was um, from Mister Shapiro. Um, in that front office because he was just like, Hey, fans enjoy uh, Francisco Lindor because we're not <laughs> re-signing him in a couple of years. Like just, uh, you love to flick off the vans right before the season gets started to really get you in the mood for Indians baseball. Um, there was also some other weird, um, rumors and stuff, um, uh, on the record quotes about Lindor's leadership and also letting Brantley leave, even though they were super tight and he was like a clubhouse leader and then, uh, tasking Francisco Lindor with leading the clubhouse when, uh, your just front office is just kind of, um, dropping little, hints and putting things through the tea leaves that he's not the best leader and all this other stuff just really just shitting on your best player 
Uh, bold move, Cotton, but it uh, it's not paying off because Lindor is still raking and he's awesome and the Indians are not. Um, they're wasting a lot of good pitching years, especially from their starting rotation. Um, the offense is anemic outside of Lindor and um, Santana, but uh, guys like Jose Ramirez with their 59 WRC plus and 300 plate appearances, not great, Bob. Uh, why not trade Lindor this summer if you're Cleveland? Why not just go ahead and say, all right, if you're not going to re-sign him, he's having this great year again, just get an unbelievable haul. Just move on. The Indians are done. The Twins are up 10 games or whatever it is. Like, it's over. You got super cheap. You went the wrong way. You you screwed all this up, your contention window, by another couple of years. You're going to do it anyway. You're not going to re-sign him. Just move on. That is a very tough deal to pull off in the upcoming weeks. Because I don't even know where you begin to try to come up with the trade or ha- which teams have the pieces to acquire a Francisco Lindor. Like, I would have to imagine that haul would be more than what the White Sox got for Chris Sale. Mm. And at the time, uh, the White Sox got the number one prospect in baseball in Yohan Makata and another top 25 prospect in Michael Kopech. So how many teams right now have two top 25 prospects in their farm system that they're willing to give up and then add another two, maybe three prospects on top of that to trade to Cleveland for Francisco Lindor? That is a tough deal. I mean, the White Sox are one of them. Well, they're not going (laughs) to. Let's not get crazy here. They're not going to go trade. But they should. Like the White Sox should get on Lindor and Jose Ramirez and not maybe not even Jose Ramirez, but just get on Lindor. Like that would be my priority number one if I'm a White Sox fan is um, we're getting Lindor. We're we're going after whatever it takes with our farm system. We're doing that. Yeah, I I don't think that would happen. So that's why no. I'm not going to really entertain it. But you know, with Cleveland, they wanted to move either Corey Kluber, or Trevor Bauer this season, and uh, everything is money driven. They they spent money and they invested a lot of payroll to try to win a World Series. They fell a game short of doing so. And now ownership is crying poor and they want to save a few bucks as far as on payroll. So I think they're going to keep Lindor because that would just crater fan interest. And I think they're going to keep Lindor all the way through his contract. Trevor Bauer, though, is a different story. And Trevor Bauer has made it very clear that after his deal is up, and he has not been the he has not been the most willing participant during arbitration that he is only going to sign one year deals and i think there's a lot of interest in someone like trevor bauer for teams and if the indians hit a snag and then they kind of fall out of the wild card race because right now they they are in contention of the second wild card uh, as we are recording this at 37 and 34, they're a game and a half back of the Texas Rangers. But the Boston Red Sox are starting to heat up. And if Boston and Tampa and New York just pull away from the pack and you still got Minnesota hitting uh, you know, close to a pace of 300 home runs and the Houston Astros and the Houston Astros, then yeah, Cleveland would be out of it. And if they're out of it, would they move Trevor Bauer prior to the July 31st deadline? And if they do circling back to the New York Yankees, right? Uh, Then if teams like the Yankees stay patient, do the Yankees send Clint Frazier back to Cleveland (laughs) for Trevor Bauer? Uh, Because again, the the Indians had Clint Frazier and they used 
They used him to get Andrew Miller from the New York Yankees uh, to help him on the 2016 postseason. Uh, so I think not trading Francisco Lindor, I don't think that's on the table. Maybe it'll get explored in the winter time, but I think it's a very difficult deal to pull off because of what the cost would be. But trading Trevor Bauer before July 31st, I do think is realistic. And I do think that there'll be more teams wanting to work out that type of deal than try to have this Hail Mary and acquire Francisco Lindor. If I'm the Angels and I'm Billy Epler, I'm calling them every hour of every day. Yeah, but what are the Angels? What do hey, they have to offer? They have a, the number one, a number eleven ranked farm system uh, per Fangraphs right now. Number yeah, but 11. are you are you going to offer Jordan Adele? Yes. Don't For Bauer, is, but I'm doing it. I, I'm not going to pretend to know any of these guys off the top of my head. Um, okay. I just think teams like that were like <sighs> another wasted year of Mike Trout. It's just awful, and I think I mean Shohei Otani's hitting and all that kind of stuff, but like. Their teams, they're just a couple teams that have the farm system pieces ostensibly to do something like that. The Padres, I don't think will do it, even though they definitely have the prospect capital to do it. And I just love the idea of Machado and Lindor on the same team, um, and just however that works. But um, the Dodgers, I could see getting in on this because, you know, um, they're like, I would love, God, how great would a Seager for Lindor trade be? Um, I, I think something like that would be really fascinating but um they have the prospect capital somehow they still have a top 10 um farm system but the because White they're Sox, awesome yeah. at development the dodgers are terrific at developing players uh it is june 18th so also fall back to this should do it give them all of your young starting pitchers do i would do that today give them everybody and dansby swanson okay uh, on june 18th i'll make this prediction which you can fall back on if it happens I think the Angels will be in strong pursuit of Garrett Cole during this offseason. Yeah. I think they're a team in surprise. But, you know, it would make sense. I, I do think that the Angels are going to, quote-unquote, waste another year of Mike Trout. Because uh, I, I wouldn't... quote-unquote? It's another wasted year. They're not making the playoffs. Uh, I get... I don't... Sure. If every year with Mike Trout is, and you don't make the playoffs is wasted, I guess it's wasted. Yes. But. <laughs> I just think the competition is very tough and looking at their roster that they have, even with Mike Trout, they're just not on the same level as the Houston Astros and they're not on the same level as Tampa Bay and Boston. So they were already behind the eight ball in my opinion. Um, Yeah. So, but with, with Trevor Bauer, I think that is the top story to follow with Cleveland. And if they have a bad two weeks where all of a sudden they're struggling again to stay above 500, I do wonder if the Indians make Trevor Bauer available and which teams will try to acquire him and what kind of deal that would bring in for Cleveland. Because if they're going to go through this transition, moving Bauer now, you might be able to get some pieces that are close to being ready. Let's say a Clint Frazier that could still give you an opportunity even in 2020 to compete for a wild card. Rank these three names from the Indians of most likely to least likely to get moved before the deadline. Brad Hand, Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber. Trevor Bauer, number one. Brad Hand, number two. Corey Kluber, number three. Just because of injury-wise. Yeah. Would you trade Kluber, too? Would you trade them both? Oh, man. If you're going to do a meltdown rebuild like the Chicago White Sox did, 
yes, but you know, with Cleveland, uh, I think what's just hurting them is just on how bad Jose Ramirez has been. Yep. And if Jose Ramirez, do we I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. He's lugging 303. I, I don't know what it is. If Jose Ramirez was the same Jose Ramirez as the last two seasons, I think we're we're seeing a different tune with the Cleveland Indians. Um, but they just did not try in the offseason. They have a terrible outfield. Jason Kipnis is toast. I think they're getting a dead cat bounce year from Carlos Santana that they cannot count on next year. And Roberto Perez, I think is overachieving offensively. Uh, yeah, I, I think if they, I wouldn't try to trade anyone. You do what you can this year and then try to be active this off season and make one more run. But if they, if the, if the ownership has no interest in spending money, chase, then if you are in the front office and the general manager of the Cleveland Indians, then I think you have to consider trading Trevor Bauer and hope it's one of those moves that you can get someone that is close to being ready, that you can insert into your lineup or rotation in 2020, and you still give yourself an opportunity to compete for the wild card. All right. Well, it's going to be fun to follow. Um, future Brave Francisco Lindor. I'm excited about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Trade them all, folks. Alex Antopoulos, long-time uh, listener to the pod. I know you're listening. Go ahead and do it. Because um, Ian Anderson, Bryce Wilson, all those guys, they suck. Just move on. They're not all going to hit. You can't. You already got one guy in Soroka and just whatever. Um, I could continue on more Braves rants, but we have to wrap up here. Josh, thank you so much, as always, for taking the time. Is there anything we need to check out from you at Sox Machine this week? Uh, I mean, it's White Sox versus Cubs, so the Crosstown Classic. And after this series, the White Sox head to Texas. So we'll see if they are still a team in the race in the wild card. But yeah, if you want to catch up on what's happening with the Chicago White Sox, you can find us at SoxMachine.com. All right, go do that. It's the best White Sox podcast on the internet. Josh, always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Chase. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.